0: Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, Denard Robinson, Timonga Patuka, from Yost to Arbor, Passed down from generation to generation, Michigan football has stood the test of time. What's that feeling you get when you catch your first glimpse of the big house? When you hear, and take the field? When you see the team emerge from the tunnel, sprint across the field, and touch that famed m Blue banner. Saturdays in the fall, tailgates with friends and family, favorite players, favorite teams, and unforgettable moments. A lifetime of memories. College football in 2020 may be unique, but it has arrived at the corner of Stadium and Main, which is where you can find Michael Spath and Justin Rowe sharing their analysis. Their stories and their emotions about this year's Wolverine. This is the Stadium and Main Podcast, presented by Capnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Lewis Jewelers.
1: Welcome to the Stadium and Main Podcast. I am Justin Rowe, and I am joined here today by Michael Spath. Michael, it is thursday october or sorry november 5th geez wow we really went right into november here uh it's been a, a big week with the election obviously going on uh we had michigan michigan state last week and we covered that earlier this week and now we are on to indiana this week how are you feeling out there today michael
2: well as, as you and i were kind of discussing it you know football and college football in particular has taken a back seat to what's going on Uh, nationally. Here we are on Thursday morning. Uh, We still don't know who our president is. Uh, We probably won't know for the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, Just a surreal feeling. And the good news, I guess, is that if, uh, you know, last night there was some Mid-American Conference football, Uh, you know, the the Big Ten will have their Friday night game and, and Big Ten football will be back this weekend to distract you. Um, whether or not you're you're excited about the Michigan game, I mean Justin, what's kind of in the field that you get out there it's it's maybe it's because of the election going on, but I almost sense like there's a, a quite a bit of apathy in the Michigan fan base
1: yeah, I think that I think that this uh this fan base feels just kind of beaten down. We talked about it earlier this week, but it's it's the groundhog day feeling right where it's like all right, well why get your hopes up again when you know it's they're going to get beaten down at at time after time. So, um, I think it's, it's, as we talked about, maybe that feeling has gotten to Jim Harbaugh and that's the reason for his lack of fire and and fight at this point. But, um, it's the same feeling for a lot of fans out there that are feeling, you know, like, all right, why do I feel, why do I need to get my hopes up? Why do I need to care about this team when, um, it's not going to, nothing's changing. The the coaching staff is, is feeling, you know, doing the same thing over and over. And so, um, yeah, it, it, I think the election definitely has to do with it, but just being on social media out there, you know, following other accounts and fans and interacting with people, people are two games in already kind of done with this year and, and hoping it kind of goes away as quickly as possible, I think. Well, I don't know about that. I wouldn't go that far. I don't think people are wanting it to go away. They
2: waited a long time. I think there's a level of frustration so early on in the season uh, that has dampened the enthusiasm for the rest of the year. But I I would imagine there will be every Michigan fan or pretty close to every Michigan fan will be tuning in uh, intently on Saturday at noon for their, their game against Indiana. And really for one of two reasons, to either see that this coaching staff and this, this team has learned from uh, last weekend's loss to Michigan State and that, you know, they can show themselves to be a far, um, you know, far more effective, far more explosive team than they were against the Spartans or to confirm that, you know, insanity, running into the brick wall over and over again with with no uh, desire to, to change, to adjust, um, sticking with the stubbornness that, that got them – Uh, to a one-on-one record and so i do think there is a there is a interest in this game and and as we'll talk about in our friday podcast as we preview a little bit of it uh you know what will michigan do how will they attack indiana and how will they be prepared for the hoosiers to attack them but justin i kind of want to start today's podcast looking at you're two weeks into the season and after week one you know if you listen to our podcast stadium in maine i mean you were thinking this is gung-ho all in Michigan football, <laughs> I said there was a path to them starting off 7-0. and mm-hmm. Well, how quickly things change. It's one of the greatest pendulum swings in a two-week span that I've ever seen uh, in, in regards to Michigan football. And and so now is, is it an overreaction to be you know, a jumping ship and uh, to be throwing the life buoys out there? Where, where are we really when we look at this team and look at the position group? So let's start with quarterback. Joe Milton, first game of the year. You know, didn't throw the ball downfield, but was an effective uh, runner um, on quarterback draws and read option plays. We also saw him, you know, he was he was cool, calm, collected in the pocket. Uh, he, he looked like a, a intangibles player, someone who gets the best out of the guys around him. Fast forward to week two, and he even admitted that he had happy feet, that he was leaving the pocket too early, uh, that he, you know, he overthrew the, the best chances for deep balls. Um, He wasn't as an efficient of a runner uh, and you know, there was just a lot of plays that he left on the field. So what is the real Joe Milton? Where, where do you kind of take those two games, put them together to figure out what to expect from Joe Milton going forward here?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that, or you ask that because when we talked about Joe Milton at the beginning of the season and what would be a successful season for him, you know, we're we're arguing a little bit. Does he need to be great? Does he need to be good, average for this team to be successful? Where does he need to land? And in my opinion, he's kind of landed in between average and good. Um, and I think the the hope for Michigan fans was to finally find that guy that actually goes from average to good to great. and And I think that was a little uh, ambitious of the fan base and of probably us too, to think that a guy that has zero experience was just going to go out there and be great right away. Um, but well how you, you know, you said it earlier in the year as well, Justin Fields came out with zero experience and became great within, you know, just one or two or three games. So, um, I I think that he's been, he's been okay. He's been, he's done his job. I don't think that the loss last week was on Joe Milton's shoulders at at all. I think he did uh, a fine enough job to win that football game. If the defense uh, can, can hold them to uh, some lesser points there. So um, does he have a lot to improve on? Yes, absolutely. The deep balls are need to be need to be made and those those uh, passes are, are going to be crucial for this offense if they really want to to blow some games open. But um, I think he, he did an OK job. I wouldn't rave about him. Um, where do you think he he can improve? Where do you think he's done? What, what do you think he has done well in two games throughout this 2020 season?
2: Honestly, I think the most effective thing that he's been so far is as as a runner. Um, When he, whether it's on a quarterback uh, design quarterback draw or on some read option, I think that he has shown himself to be a weapon in the running game, Um, in the passing game. Most of his success is middle of the field slants. I mean, if we're being honest, he, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't thrown a lot of screen passes. He has not completed um, anything downfield. Those are the big explosive plays. Uh, You know, He's been limited a little bit with the play calling because they, uh, you know, we haven't seen much in terms of crossing routes. We haven't seen wheel routes from running backs. Uh, We haven't seen that many post patterns uh, that have led to big plays. He's had some drops. I mean, last week, Eric Gall dropped the ball again. Mike Samer still dropped the ball. Ronnie Bell dropped the ball. I mean, those are all opportunities that Michigan's missing out on. Uh, And certainly the wide receiver room has got to be significantly better than what we've seen the first two weeks, Justin. But I mean, I give them, a guess, like a C-plus, B-minus, because here's the thing about it that I said is that at some point, whether it was early on in the year or late in the year, Joe Milton has to be a, a difference maker for Michigan. And in week two, I, I give you I, – I agree that the coaching was poor and the play calling was poor. But, you know, Joe Milton needed, needed to make a big play, and he had – I mean, it's hard to say, but he had one great opportunity with Ronnie Bell uh, down the middle of the field, open by, what would you say, the closest guy was maybe 15 yards away, yeah. and he yep. overshot him by 20 by 20 yards. You know, like there were a couple of other opportunities, a couple of out patterns uh, where he sailed the ball and had a chance for a big play. So uh, he hasn't made a big play with his arm yet in two weeks. And to me, uh, that just brings his grade down. He's got to be better than that. He's got to be – You know, and it's as you say, he's two games in. He's very inexperienced. But it was Michigan State. It wasn't Ohio State.
1: Right. And that
2: was Ohio State week two. You might be like, well, that's a lot for you know to put on a kid's shoulders. It was Michigan State in week two. He needed to be better than Rocky Lombardi, and he wasn't. And that's where we find Michigan. Uh, That's why we find Michigan one and one. So. Yeah, it's he's got a lot of room to improve. This is going to be a big week for him because he's got to be better than Michael Penix Jr. If uh, if, if the Indiana QB is the better signal caller on Saturday, Indiana probably wins this football game. If Joe Milton is the better quarterback on Saturday, Michigan probably wins this football game. And and it, I mean, it's there's so much more nuance to it than that. But oftentimes it comes down to who's the better quarterback. Week one, you could say Joe Milton was better than Tanner Morgan. Michigan wins the football game. So. Justin, uh, running game week one 250 yards rushing average what eight yards per carry two players average better than 10 yards per carry this past week not much from the running game couple of leaks, uh, a couple of breakout uh, runs from Blake Corum Hassan Haskins looked pretty good but you got nothing from Zach Charvedere. Uh you got nothing from Chris Evans um, you know you didn't get as much from from Joe Milton where do you where do you find yourself when it looks at this running game was it as good the potential is there for week one or as average as week
1: two? You know, I, I put this running game on the coaching staff and and it's hard to, we we could say that about just every, uh, just about every position group, but um, I I still think that you can't have four different guys going through that, that position group and have anybody get into a rhythm. I actually said this on our, on my other podcast uh, earlier this year before the season started if you look at every other horse in the uh, every, every other big top program in the country, Clemson has Travis ETN, you know, Ohio state had JK Dobbins before uh, Alabama has Najee Harris. I mean, these, these programs that really are effective on the offensive side of the ball have a horse that they give 20, 25 uh, rushes per game. When you're having Charbonnet have four rushes. You're having Haskins have seven, Coram have seven. Um, You know, it's, it it really, it doesn't allow a running back to get into a rhythm and see the field, especially with an offensive line that is not, that hasn't played well, or it didn't play well on Saturday at least. Um, So I think you're not setting your guys up for success when you're doing that. And so in my opinion, Blake Coram's gonna get his day. I think he should probably take a back seat, although I think he's very talented and could be a, a guy. But he's gonna have his day. You have to give the ball to Haskins and Charbonnet because I don't think Chris Evans is the same guy he was two years ago. So um, I, I'm looking for somebody to to emerge there and be be a guy. It's hard to say who it is because nobody's really gotten the chance to to do that. You know, Charbonnet outside of. 170-yard rush, yard rush in game one hasn't really done much. Um, I'd say Hassan Haskins has probably been the, the best so far. Um, I, I don't know. Do you agree that, uh, that Josh Gaddis should, should try and, and limit these carries and kind of go with one or two guys, or do you still like the opportunity to see all four of them for the rest of the year?
2: Well, I don't like the opportunity to see all four of them going forward because, Two of them, Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, in just two games, have shown themselves to be better equipped, more consistently successful. Uh, And maybe a lot of it it has to do with what play calls uh, Josh Gaddis calls for those guys. Um, You know, he does give Blake Corum seemingly more outside zone uh, opportunities. And Hassan Haskins has shown an ability that uh, even if there's not a great hole, that he's good at wiggling through and then, you know, making a little move and bouncing Uh, bouncing up to the second level. So I would go with the son Haskins and Blake Corum as a one, two right now with the Zach Sharp and a three. And, and, you know, I really wouldn't, uh, at some point you can't be worried about like getting everybody, their touches and keeping everybody happy. You've got to win football games. Um, If that means that Chris Evans is the odd man out this week, that means press conference earlier this week, essentially said that all four guys are still going to get all their touches. Uh, Maybe throw Ben Mason in that mix a little bit too. So, I don't know if that's a winning strategy, but it worked in week one um, because they were because they were just gutting uh, that Minnesota defense and defensive front seven. So, yeah, I agree with you. The running game was a lot more on the coaches than I put on the running backs, um, and and they've got to they've got to be more imaginative. They've got to be less predictable uh, than they were this past Saturday. And then the offensive line. I mean, you go back and watch film. There are so many missed assignments, and this is a inexperienced group, but not a young group. You know, you've got three guys who are in their fourth or fifth year starting on that offensive line. You've got two other guys who are retro sophomores. Uh, one of them, Jalen Mayfield is a potential all American, uh, was an, you know, all big 10, uh, I think third-team performer a year ago. I mean, this is, this is not a incredibly young group and they just whiffed on so many assignments. And again, it's that, is that because of their inexperience? Is that them putting, being put in the wrong position? Is that them being not taught properly? I mean, you and I have said we have a lot of confidence in Ed Warner uh, and, and the way that he coaches at offensive line, but that unit has got to be significantly better uh, for this running game to improve uh, going forward here. So I'm really curious. This is, a, this is a great week. I'm actually, now that we're talking about it, Justin, I'm actually kind of excited about this week because you come into the season, you've got a lot of question marks, and then that first game, get a chance to answer some of those but now coming off of week two I feel like so many other questions have arisen for this Michigan football team and we're going to see what they're all about and if if they come out and answer a lot of those questions again I'm not saying they're going to win the Big Ten title I'm not going to get hyped I still think Jim Harbaugh needs to go that uh, his time has run out here but at least like you can see them respond and show that like you know what we we can we can improve we can we can adapt, we can adjust, we can uh, make changes and, and, and grow up and get better uh, week to week because that's the big thing. If they're not getting any better, then I mean, this is an easy call at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is kind of, you know, every game in an eight-game season is a make-or-break game, you can say it. But for this program in which uh, which direction they're going to go, for the rest of the year and in the, in the future, um, this, this game is very, very important because if they come out and lay an egg again, like they did against Michigan state, well, recruits already have started to hop off the ship, um, after last week's game and it's going to continue. And so, um, the pressure on Jim Harbaugh then gets, you know, more and more, and the pressure on Ward manual to make a decision sooner than he wants to becomes apparent. And, um, yeah, I I think this game is more important than people are, are realizing out there. I, I, especially because we looked at this season as maybe a stepping stone to 2021, correct? So it's, it's definitely, you know, uh, a, a year that you don't need to, to win a big 10 title this year, but you need to make progress forward and set yourself up for 2021 and two games in, I don't like the looks of, of this team going into next season uh, where I was hoping that this would be a team that's looking like, hey, 2021 could be a, an actual year that they're contending for the Big Ten title and, and possibly college football playoff berth. So that's for sure.
2: Well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not ready to go there. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's two games to say that they're not looking like a team that goes into 2021 well. I mean, that's, that's a long way off this entire offensive line with the exception of their center, Andrew Vistardis, and their right tackle, uh, Jalen Mayfield, who we expect to go pro after this year, um, all those guys would return. If all those guys are better or they take Chuck Tiliaga out at left guard and they bring in, uh, you know, one of the, one of the youngsters and they're, they're all, you know, peaking at the end of the season, that's going to be a positive sign. If Joe Milton is dueling head-to-head with Justin Fields in the final game, that's going to be a really good sign. If the running backs have distinguished themselves, if it's a Haskins quorum top two, that's going to be a positive sign. So don't don't write them off. Ultimately, it'll come down to whether or not you know there's going to be a lot of positives from this season, but it's going to come down to whether or not you believe that Joe, uh, Jim Harbaugh and his coaching staff are the ones to lead the team in 2021 or not. So that's the big that's the big but, question. But, but let's okay, let's get to the, so I think we kind of yeah.
1: I was sorry. I'll I'll just make one more one more comment. There is yeah. Well that isn't that the issue though? This team has had the talent in nearly every season. Maybe not at the quarterback position, but we've I, I would argue at the quarterback position a lot of times, this team has had the talent to win the big ten title or or at least contend for it. But it seems like they've been held back. I don't know it, you know, it's not always the coaching staff, but what's your confidence level? Oh, it is with what's oh, your what's your confidence level going into twenty twenty one with this coaching staff, you know, with the players that are now going to be on the field in 2021?
2: It's a zero unless they beat Ohio state this year, and pull off, you know, a a great upset that no one's expecting. How could it be anything other than that? We've got five and five years, two games of, of evidence. And what that evidence shows us is Michigan underwhelms, Michigan disappoints, Michigan doesn't realize and maximize its talent. And that was fully on display. That, that game against Michigan State was the epitome of the first five years of the Jim Harbaugh era, with the exception maybe of you know the first year and a half, is is in a is in a critical game and a critical opportunity. Um, you know, all of a sudden kind of reverting back to old school mentality, reverting back to uh, playing football on your heels, you know, the I mean Will Heinegger, and, and we're gonna to talk to Ruben Riley a little bit later today. Bill you know, put it perfectly. He's like talking about how, look, they were, they got punched in the mouth. They were on their heels the whole time. They didn't have the same energy. They didn't have the same fight as Michigan State. I mean, how many times can we say the same thing about a, a, a critical moment? I mean, look at the, the game last year at Wisconsin. They're down mm-hmm. 35 to nothing. They didn't look like they were ready to play that one. The Penn State game, they're down, what, 21 to seven, I believe, at the half. They weren't ready to play that one. You know, they, with the exception of the, the Ohio State game in 2019, um, you know, the last year and a half, they weren't, there's just so many opportunities where they don't look like they're ready to play. They're flat at the beginning of the game. The Notre Dame game in 2018, they're down, you know, what, 21-10 to 10 at the half. I mean, that's got to, that, that is history. That is evidence. That is support. That is over and over and over again. And so, no, why would you believe that in, in the rest of 2020 or 2021, uh, that when they play those most important games, they're going uh, to be at their best? So, no, I, I mean, I'm done with Harbaugh. I'm out on the Harbaugh train. He, people, we, we talked about this earlier. What has to happen? They got to essentially run the table, got to run the table and beat Ohio State uh, and show that they're capable of, of doing more and being a better program than they've been for the first five plus years. Of the Jim Harbaugh era.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that's where it gets tough to um, to talk about. You know, when we're going position group by position group and say, you know, how confident are you in each of these? When it seems like every single one of them is handicapped by the coach that's that's uh, coaching them. So um, that's where that's, that's a where great I point, am.
2: Justin. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I mean that's
2: a great point, and that's that's the struggle right here is that is that we're, you know, we're going to talk about the defensive side of the ball, and then we're going to talk some more offense with Reuben Riley. And if, you know, you just said it about the running game and about the offensive line and about the running backs, like, well, I think it's more about the coaching. If we're constantly talking about the coaching holding this team back, then why should you ever expect them to realize, like, to, to be the best football team that they can be in order to win the games, the big games remaining on their schedule, or in future seasons?
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's um, and that's gonna that's going hurt recruiting. You know, if if I'm looking at if I'm a recruit looking at Michigan and I'm seeing four different running backs uh, that are none of them are emerging and none of them seem to be getting better, uh, why is Donovan Edwards gonna say yes? I want to go to Michigan. He's gonna say no. I want to go to Ohio State or Alabama where. I'm going to get 25 touches a game and be the front runner or the, you know, I'm going to be in the Heisman uh, on the Heisman watch. And so um, it's the same deal with, with the offensive line where it seems like they've taken a step backwards, the, the defensive secondary, and we can move, move there now has definitely taken a step backwards. And so um, let, as we do move to the defense What do you – let's talk about the secondary, obviously, which was the the bigger – the big problem against Michigan State. Where do you put them at moving forward? Do you have any confidence in them? Do you think that they can uh, manage things here for the rest of the year at least?
2: No, I mean, I think if, if Michigan fans are being the most honest with themselves, their single greatest concern remains in the secondary because Dax Hill is one man, and four guys have to play at one time, and quite often five guys are playing at one time. Uh, and we have seen nothing in the first two weeks of the season from Vincent Gray, uh, from Brad Hawkins, um, from Akari Page, who's gotten a lot of run as the third safety, um, and and throwing Jamon Green. Uh, you you have seen. I mean, this is the type of stuff that two weeks in the season is is giving every Michigan fan their and their coaches nightmares because look they looked bad really bad uh, they've gotten a lot of pass interference and holding penalties because they're they're not confident in themselves uh, they don't look back for the ball uh, they're getting beat deep um, they're falling down when when they're in good in good position uh, Jamon Green has actually probably showed the most potential um, of those players I just listed and you know he's had two balls both against Minnesota and Michigan State hit him right in the hands he dropped both of them they would have been you know, the Minnesota game, they, they, they found a way anyway. But the Michigan State game, you know, that would have been a big interception. Was in the, it would have been in the end zone. It would have been a touchback. Michigan would have gotten the ball. I mean, you know, they have to make those game changing plays. And this is a serious concern because these are, even this week, Jim Harbaugh said Vincent Gray is our best cornerback, bar, bar none. Like, we're not, it's not, a, I'm not trying to boost up his confidence. He's our best cornerback, and you'll see it. And so it doesn't sound like a change is coming at that position, it sounds like he's going to be the guy that goes out there against Indiana and goes out there if they play the Wisconsin game and goes out there against Ohio State later on in the year. And that is that is scary for Michigan fans because he is, um, you know, he is really struggling um, at, uh, at that cornerback position. So I think I think this is – we got this week against Indiana, Michael Penix Jr., uh, Watt Filer, or Filer, I don't know how to say his first name. Um, you know, this is a good wide receiver core. And that's a great quarterback or on the rise quarterback. If they have the same type of success against Michigan secondary that Rocky Lombardi just did, I I don't think it's um, crazy to think that Michigan is looking more at a three and five type season uh, than a five and three or four and four. All right, Justin. So you know that for the last couple of years when I was on uh, WTK inside the huddle, one of my most loyal, my best, my favorite. Uh, sponsors of our show was the Pretzel Bell, um, the best sports bar in downtown Ann Arbor, and probably one of the hardest things about giving up the uh, the radio show was, uh, you know, having to having to say goodbye to some of those sponsors. But the good news is that, uh, you know, those those people remain friends, remain colleagues, uh, and joining us here today, the general manager of the Pretzel Bell, uh, Jason Wells. Uh, Jason, thanks very much for joining us on our new podcast here at Stadium of Maine. Sure,
3: thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Well, Jason, I miss you. I don't know if you miss me as much because all we did was come in there and eat a lot of food. Um, but, man, absolutely love the pretzel bell, love the setup in there. What is it, you know, during this football season, how have you guys been doing it? Because obviously it's a great place for Michigan fans to come gather, and especially now where no one's allowed to go to games, it's even, be a, you know, a better place to come gather. But you got to do it safely. Uh, and at the same time, you know, you want to keep some of that atmosphere, some of that energy uh, that you've always had with with great crowds there.
3: Well, I mean, one thing for us is we've got so much room and we've got 32 different screens. So there's not really a a place in the restaurant that you can't see a TV Uh, with the social distancing and spreading all our tables out six feet and doing everything we have to. We fortunately have the the room next door that we used to use for big uh, parties and events and things like that. So we've been able to spread our tables into there. So we didn't really lose much room in terms of table space or viewing space or any of that. We just kind of spread it out quite a bit. So uh, there's still not a not a bad spot in the whole place to watch the game. Uh, Really fun atmosphere, a lot of Michigan, a lot of a lot of sports, all that sort of stuff. So we also added some uh, filtration to our uh, ventilation to make sure our air is nice and clean. And uh, we've got 25 tables on our patio right now. Uh, some heaters out there as it's starting to get a little colder, but we, we just, we have
2: all the room still. Uh, Jason, one of the things that I love about the bell is you guys are right there, downtown Maine and Liberty, and you are right on a corner and you've got a ton of patio space um, out in front of Pretzibel on the side of Pretzibel. Uh, and, and this weekend, you know, certainly you want to watch the game, but this weekend, we're kind of getting one of those warm spells in Michigan that we're, we get lucky to get in November. It's supposed to be mid-60s, maybe even 70 degrees and sunny. Uh, so a great opportunity for some patio service. I would suggest getting there early. What time do you guys open on Saturday and Sunday this weekend? Uh, and how long will you be open on uh, Thursday and Friday uh, this, this week, too, uh, with the patio service?
1: We,
3: we're going to open at 1130 on Saturday. So give people time to get in there and get settled before the game. Uh, Fridays, we, we open at four. We're only open for dinner service and Saturday and Sunday. We're open from a letter Saturday, 1130 till 11 o'clock at night. The kitchen closes, but we stay open till midnight. And then Sunday we open again at noon and stay open till 10. Uh, the cool thing, Ann Arbor right now, they're closing down the streets starting two o'clock on Friday. So it's, uh, the, the streets are closed. You can walk around, we can put tables out in the street. It's, it's really a fun atmosphere down there
2: well and uh, great great you know full bar uh always have fun beers on tap usually local beers uh from uh from north peak from uh from jolly pumpkin from grizzly peak uh, blue tractor all those local beers are on tap you still got the mystery beer uh where uh, you can just kind of take your chances uh punch the button and, and see what comes out um and a great food selection uh what are some of the things that you're highlighting right now on the menu
3: well, our biggest thing right now is our Detroit-style pizza. You know, we we brought that out uh, towards the end of last year, and it's it's just been going crazy. It's it's a real thick crust pizza, uh, crunchy edges. Um, it's it's delicious. We've got a barbecue. Yeah, or a veggie yeah, we've, had that,
2: we've had that pizza a lot man i'm a huge fan I, I i told you when you first did it i was shocked at how good the pizza is that you guys make i'm like come on this is like a press belt is a burger place this is buffalo chicken this is uh you know poutine and your pizza uh was as good as any pizza that you'll have in ann arbor
3: yeah i it's it's my favorite pizza in ann arbor by far
2: well, you mentioned a couple of the other things you were mentioning. Sorry to cut you off. out just drilling salivating things with your pizza. <laughs> um, well, one of the cool things we're
3: doing for the Michigan football games, you come in, you stay for the game. At the end of the game, Michigan wins. We're giving the percent of the point spread off your tab. Um, so Michigan wins by 14. We'll take 14% off the bill. We've well, that's got, pretty
2: cool. Well, yeah, I know that – Yeah, I know last week you guys were talking about doing that, it kind of backfired a little bit. Did you end up giving them the uh, percentage that Michigan State won by? I I think probably not.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, it didn't didn't work out in the favor of the guests last week, but hopefully this weekend.
2: Indeed. Well, Jason, man, love your stuff. Um, I've always appreciated your friendship and your relationship uh, with uh, Inside the Huddle. Um, you know, glad to be able to feature you here today on uh, the Stadium and Main podcast. Um, really looking forward to to getting in there soon and, and to watching the game. Uh, you know, I, I, I miss it. Uh, we've been a little bit. Our, our family's been a little cautious. We're more of the carry out people right now than the, the come into the bar and watch it. Um, but you know, your your food is outstanding. Your beer selection great. Uh, you know, full bars. I said, and I love the fact that you guys have used that all the space that you have available to you. Uh, so people can continue to get in there, watch the game with fellow Michigan fans, cheer on the Maze of Blue. Uh, so good luck to you this weekend. Enjoy what's going to be a gorgeous weekend. Uh, go Blue, and you can learn more by going to theprestlebell.com.
3: Well, don't forget, you can order our uh, food for takeout or delivery on DoorDash, and we can, we can do the mystery beer to go. So make sure to check that out.
2: Thanks, Jason. Really appreciate it.
3: All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Look forward to having you in as a guest.
2: Justin, I mean, am I wrong? Like, why should I have any confidence in this uh, secondary and their ability to stop big plays?
1: No, I, I, I think that we talked about this uh, a little bit earlier this week, but I, and once we go into our preview tomorrow for Indiana as well, I, I believe that Indiana is going to do the exact same thing that Michigan State did with, uh, with Michael Penix. They're going to just say, all right, drop back and chuck it up, and, and we, we're going to challenge these uh, quarterbacks to make a play one-on-one because they did not prove not, – not, it didn't seem like one single time they proved that they could do it on, on defense uh, in, against Michigan State. So, yeah, I think the blueprint is now made in order to beat Michigan. And so uh, for, with a team that has a dynamic quarterback like Indiana with Michael Penix, they're going to use him in a lot of different ways. And, and throwing the ball up and passing is going to be one of them. And then the other part, too, and we can now get into the front seven as well, where I think Michael Penix is going to be very dangerous with his feet as well. He always has been, and he uh, Michigan has really struggled a lot in the past with uh, with mobile quarterbacks, and so um, with with Michael Barrett, we're not exactly sure of Michael Barrett's status because he did leave the Michigan State game as well. Um, so I, I think that we're without him maybe to spy Michael Penix, um, or without him at 100 percent at, at least, um, that could be pretty dangerous. How are you feeling about this front seven? Because we we talked about how great this front seven could be and it's really the strength of this defense. So after two games in, you know, you can start with the linebacker core, where do you put them? And how are you feeling about them?
2: Well, you know, camera two weeks into the season has not really, I mean, if people were expecting, and I was kind of expecting like a Devin Bush level jump, we haven't seen that in the first two games. Uh, Michael Barrett looked really good against Minnesota. Uh, he and most of the front seven was neutralized by max protection schemes by Michigan state where they were keeping, uh, you know, either two tight ends in um, or, or the tight end was staying in and a a fullback or a running back was also staying in protection and not even going out on a route. Um, They were simply willing to to, to do that. They were willing to, uh, to, to keep, uh, you know, um, seven guys in have three go out into a pattern and then the quarterback in order to protect themselves. And they did it very effectively and, and look, if you've got six guys coming, you've got seven guys blocking. Most times, you're not going to get home. So I don't really put that on on these uh, these, these linebackers. Uh, that's just the nature of math. Um, but certainly, you know, in the you know out there in space and, and making plays when there are opportunities, we didn't see that against Michigan State. We've got to you know grown has got to be a difference maker every single week, regardless of how a defense plays him or an offense plays him. I'm sorry, uh, Josh Ross has got to be a difference maker, and he was on the wrong side of making a difference against Michigan State. Uh, you know, Michael Barrett got banged up, uh, but even before he got banged up, he wasn't, you know, making a big difference. I- I'm, I'll be really curious. Does Indiana do the same thing? They do max protect, and they say, hey, we're just going to sit back there, let our quarterback try to pick you apart. We're not going to give you any opportunities to come after us. What does that mean for Don Brown? Does he employ more of a zone defense uh, and, you know, change some things up and come with zone pressures? Uh, and say we're going to drop guys into coverage, and, and Michael, if you can, if you can find the open seams, more power to you. But we're going to, you know, give you a lot more, a lot more winged helmets that you got to throw the ball past. I, I don't know. I think this is a referendum game for Don Brown and and his. I mean, we've already said. I mean, I, I think I think we're all kind of in agreement that like this is playing out a string, right? Like I, I don't expect to change my mind about Don Brown or Jim Harbaugh the rest of the year, barring the the running of the table but you know what does he do he has got to look hard in the mirror at his team and himself and if we see more of the same if we see vincent gray on an island if we see jamon green on an island in this game really early on in the contest i just don't think there's any any defense for that whatsoever justin uh, that would be incredibly disappointing. Um, I don't think that the front seven is going to have a, a, a huge game because of the fact that I do expect Indiana to max protect, just like Michigan State did. Uh, and so if that's the case, what else can you do as a defense? What's your counterpunch? And that's the biggest problem with Don Brown that we've seen over and over and over again these last couple of years is that he either doesn't have a counterpunch or he refuses to employ it because it makes him uncomfortable because it's different than what uh, his his strength has always been. His bread and butter has always been. So we're gonna we're gonna take a big long look um, at Don Brown and and what he is capable of as a defensive coordinator on Saturday. And I'm not gonna be pissed at the front seven if they're not getting home, uh, but I certainly think that they need to make you know more plays in space uh, and and when there is an opportunity to get in the backfield, like they've got to take advantage of it against Indiana.
1: Yeah, you know, what's been obvious about Don Brown's defense for the the time that he's been in Ann Arbor is if that front seven doesn't get to the quarterback, if they don't have pressure, that defense doesn't work. They get picked apart. And so um, last week, Rocky Lombardi sat back there pretty much unpressured, untouched and was able to do whatever he wanted. And so, uh, again, the blueprint is there. You, you can sit in max protect and then you're still going to have, uh, guys on an Island out there as far as the secondary goes. And so, um, Don Brown didn't show that he could adjust against Michigan state. He, he just kept on sending linebacker after linebacker blitz after blitz. And, and, uh, Michigan state's offensive line ate every single one of those up. And so, um, again, I imagine that Indiana will do the same. I I don't see why you wouldn't. And so the only hope that we can have it for Michigan's defense here is that Don Brown comes with a game plan that says, all right, if they do that, then we switch it up and drop some linebackers back into a zone or something like that. And so um, the only way that you can, you can uh, defend against that is, is yeah, you're dropping back some linebackers and Indiana has, has picked us apart in the past on the offensive side with a lot of crossing routes the same way as Ohio State has. And so I see them doing the exact same thing. And the way that Don Brown can defend that is show blitz a little bit at the beginning and then fake it, drop a linebacker or two back into coverage and try and pick off those – crossing routes underneath and so if he does that early maybe he makes an adjustment early then Indiana's gonna say crap well now we can't do just uh crossing routes over and over and over and maybe it makes a difference in this game but um it's tough to have confidence in Don Brown's schemes at this point because of what we've seen in the past especially uh this year so um I I think that I I don't have a ton of uh confidence in, in Michigan's front seven either because of, again, the coaches handicapping them, which is really frustrating with the talent level of that front seven. So that's tough to to watch over and over again on the defensive side. And I want to go back to the offensive side one more time because we didn't uh, talk about the wide receiver group, which in my opinion has been a, a, a bright spot on the offensive side. Um, where are you at with this deep wide receiver group? Do you think any guys have emerged? Do you think that there should be a, a lesser rotation like uh, we just talked about with the running backs as well? Or do you like how uh, Josh Gaddis is running six to eight guys through?
2: No, I've, I, wide receivers, I always think that you should be running a lot of guys. I mean, certainly, you want your best wide receivers on the field for, you know, two thirds of the, of the opportunities. But, um, you know, considering how many guys on any given route, uh, you know, run 15, 18, 20, 25, 30 yards. I mean, you got to be able to take those guys right off the field and put someone else in that is capable of doing the job. I don't know what we've got from the wide receivers yet. You know, Ronnie Bell had a nice first week, um, but he dropped the ball in week two. Uh, Mike Samer still dropped the ball. Uh, Giles Jackson has dropped the ball in week one. Um, you know there's a lot of guys there but how do you know what they can do because they haven't been put I mean this is a broken record and I, I, I I'm, I'm kind of getting sick of saying it I'm honestly really sick of saying it because I've been saying it for the last couple of years how can you know what these guys are capable of when they're not put in positions to be successful over and over again when they're not Josh Jackson is supposed to be this drum this incredible playmaker and every route that he has caught so far has been something where he has it's like been a traditional like you know slant pattern or across a little bit across the middle where there's a safety and a linebacker and a cornerback all around him. Like how is that putting that guy who's got wiggle and elusiveness and speed in a position to be successful? Same with Roman Wilson and AJ Henning. Uh, I just, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand how you talk about speed and space. You come into the offense uh, a year and a half ago or two years ago, whatever it is, you talk about how you're always going to put guys In a position to to make plays and then you just don't do it like those aren't the routes that you're you're emphasizing those aren't the routes you're throwing to um you don't have a downfield passing game despite having burners at the wide receiver position you don't um throw your running back out of the backfield despite having guys who might be better receivers at the running back than they are runners at the running back position like i just don't understand how we can keep on saying the same thing over and over again like It doesn't make sense to me, Justin. And I don't know if it's a Jim Harbaugh problem, although five plus years, it seems like it's a Jim Harbaugh problem or if it's a Josh Gattis problem or if, you know, what's going on. But to me, that is the thing is how do you evaluate the wide receivers? I don't know. Let me see them like actually be put in positions to be successful. And then I can evaluate what they're capable of. But right now that hasn't happened um, really in the first two games. And it is incredibly disappointing And it's got to change again because Saturday we're going to get to predictions on Friday, but you know, I think I talked about this uh, with Sam and Ira, uh, Sam Webb and Ira Weintraub from the morning show on WTK earlier this week. Like if they try to win this game, 31, 28, they're going to lose because that's not college football anymore. They've got to win this game by scoring 42 points. And I just don't know that they have it in them to do that. And so lots to be decided on Saturday. Uh, we'll talk to Ruben Riley about it in a little bit. But, Justin, I did want to say earlier this week, one of Amy's cousins got engaged, uh, Michael Weber of Weber's Hotel. Congratulations to them. And when they, saw, when they posted the ring, it wasn't a diamond ring. It was an emerald ring. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go. You don't have to go really traditional. Uh, you can go with multiple different gemstones. And, you know, I don't know what you've got planned down the road for, for your, your future misses, but, uh, you know, when you, when you check out our friends at Lewis Jewelers, I mean, wide selection of diamonds, but they've got so many other, uh, so many different other gemstones that you can pick from. And not everybody is a, a, a you know, one-carat, a two-carat type of person. A lot of people, uh, you know, look for a little bit of variety, look for something different. They like to be outside the box. And, uh, you know, so whether you're looking for an engagement ring or you're looking for a a birthday present or a Christmas present, um, you know, whatever you're looking for an an anniversary, uh, you know, great selection for, for men and for women at our friends at uh, Lewis Jewelers. Uh, you can learn more by going to lewisjewelers.com, uh, where Ann Arbor gets engaged. Well, Justin, as we sit here waiting for, uh, more election results to come in, um, you know, we'll have our predictions. We'll have our, are uh, what does Michigan have to do to win this game against Indiana in tomorrow's podcast? Uh, you know, really, I, honestly, like I didn't think that I'd be here um, at this point in the week. Like I didn't think that like there'd be any type of enthusiasm, energy, excitement for the for the game against Indiana on Saturday. But I think because of what we talked about a little bit earlier, just like all these questions now, all these, you know, will they be continue to be stubborn? Will Joe Milton have a bounce back game? What will the offensive line and the running game look like? And and, and what will we see out of the cornerbacks? Will it be different cornerbacks? Will Vincent Gray take a step forward or will it be more of the same? I, I think there's just like a fascinating, almost like when in, in biology, when you, uh, when you, you know, your sophomore year in high school or junior year uh, when you dissected that first animal, whether it was like a mink or a, you know, a little, uh, like a pig or whatever you did uh, this is kind of like the moment right now where, where you're going to take Michigan football apart and you're going to like probe and, and look at all the insides and see uh, what comes out of it and what you learn from it. Um, and so that's kind of where I find myself. I mean, I'm not as much as like an excitement for like being a fan, like cheering for my team, but more so from being like an, putting like that an analytic, uh, analyst, analytic, my goodness, analytic hat on, Justin, uh, and kind of like looking at this from an objective point of view and saying like, okay, everything we saw last week. Uh, you know, is, was that an anomaly? Was, what is the real Michigan football team for the rest of the season? What are, you know, what are these guys capable of? Um, we should know a lot more about this. Uh, we'll know a lot more about uh, Michigan, uh, its coaching staff, its young players and its veterans uh, come Saturday at uh, 3.30 p.m.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that Jim Harbaugh, we talked about this earlier this week, is, has backed himself into a corner here. And so pretty much every game from now on is, is a, a very important and you could say a must-win game. So we will see how him and the rest of the coaching staff and the Wolverines respond to that on Saturday. And we'll give you all our predictions, like Mike said, uh, tomorrow on the, on tomorrow's podcast. Um, for right now, this is our, our wrap up for today. You can follow us on Twitter at Stadium Main Pod, as well as on Instagram. And you can follow Mike at Michael Spath, I T H, myself at Rowe 92 you can like and subscribe on google apple spotify wherever you get your podcast anchor as well you can even do a little donation if you're uh into uh if you like what you hear here and you want to hear more of it as well as, uh you know speaking of the guests and everybody we have on so thank you guys for listening and we will see you tomorrow
2: all right thanks to our sponsor wolverine state brewing company Lewis Jewelers and my company Capnick Insurance Group for making this podcast possible.
0: This is the Stadium and Main podcast, presented by Capnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company and Lewis Jewelers.